Hello, this is IP Stories by 4IP Council, a podcast about innovation and intellectual property. Join us and you'll hear about the journeys through invention, creation, and IP understanding of our guests. I'm Marta. And my name is Axel. And today we are very happy to welcome to our podcast, Timothée Lequen. Timothée, thank you so much for coming to our podcast. Before we get to the details of your position as co-founder and CEO of Energy Square, we would like to know more about you and your background. What led you to where you are today? Hello, hello everyone, and thank you very much for hosting me in this uh, podcast. So yes, I'm uh, Timothée Lequen, uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Energy Square. Uh, it's a company we started in 2015, so eight years ago. And before that, before starting this company, I was a, a student um, in a French engineering school called uh, Telecom Paris Tech. Um, I also have uh, one year of studies in uh, Singapore at the U National University of Singapore. And the reason why I started this project is that um, as far as I can remember, I've always wanted to to build new things, to develop new physical things, uh, not only uh, software, but some things that you can touch and handle, so kind of inventions. And uh, during my years at, uh, at Telecom, so this French en engineering school, uh, I've been placed in, in the right environment to do so. Um, and also I met the, the right people to, to do so. And this is how I, I got lucky enough to, to start the company just after uh, my studies in 2015. I guess this is where you met uh, Daniel Lolo and uh, Mathieu Podatz. Um, when, when you joined them to start this entrepreneurial adventure, did you already have this goal of getting rid of cables, of the devices uh, that we use to charge, or were you considering different alternatives? So uh, we, we met each other in 2014, during uh, our studies, and uh, we participated at the time uh, in the same student competition. Um, so the name of the student competition was Art Science Prize. And it was quite an interesting approach because the idea was to bring together um, engineering students and uh, designer students uh, and to spend six months together in very small teams of three or four, and to build uh, a project um, that was mixing design and engineering. So it was mainly to, to, to bring a physical project that you could touch and, and showcase at the end of the year. And the theme, the theme of our year was uh, the future of energy. So it was quite wide, uh, and we had to, to narrow a little bit our research and what we wanted to focus on. And so we decided with Mathieu and, and Daniel to focus on, on charging and on the question of how do we make sure uh, that our devices are always charged and always have a battery. Because as a user, it's um, a high frustration when you don't have a battery anymore on your, on your device. And it's one of the main reasons why people don't like their devices, don't like using it, and why sometimes uh, they stop using it. Because when you forget one, two, three times to charge your device, then you, 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 you stop using it. And uh, the solution to, to charging at the time was mainly uh, cables. And uh, as you know, cables are not ergonomic. They are always uh, 
tangled, uh, they break easily, and often it's quite a, a mess on your desk when you need to charge two, three devices, you have cables everywhere. So our main idea and the, the project that we wanted to develop is to say, okay, um, uh, our devices uh, spent a lot of time lying on flat surfaces around us. Uh, we always put it on our desks, uh, on nightstands, uh, on tables, etc. So what we wanted to do is to make the most of this time that our devices spend on surface to charge it. And so we start developing uh, a technology that was allowing to charge devices over an entire surface and not only over a single point as uh, inductive charging does. So this was uh, the really core of the project. And uh, 10 years after, it's always the same, uh, the same idea that, uh, that we develop. One of the issues that I would add to having so many cables is that cats love to chew them. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely agree that it's a good idea to get rid of them. So how long did it take, you said, 10 years to, to find a technological solution or, or to bring it to the market? Like, how did it develop after that? You know, at what point did you decide that you had a product that you could start uh, commercializing? So uh, during our studies, we spent about one year and a half prototyping the, the first pieces of technology. And we were <clears throat> very lucky because we got uh, the help of our teachers and of our school uh, who financed our first prototype. So they helped us buying the, the hardware and, and the components. And then after one year and a half, uh, we went full time on the project with Daniel in uh, 2015. Uh, we, we uh, we started the, the company. Mathieu joined us uh, full time uh, a few a few years uh, after, and then it took us about six extra months uh, to have real working prototypes that we could show to potential clients or investors. And at that time, so it was in 2016, um, our main goal was to bring a product to the market, a B two C product. Um, and so we started preparing a crowdfunding campaign on a Kickstarter website. So we spent about six months preparing this campaign because you need to do a lot of marketing uh, before you actually launch the, the campaign and the product. And you need to make sure that a lot of people are behind this, their screens uh, ready to buy the product when, when you push the button and launch the, the campaign. And the campaign was quite successful. So it was the first validation, market validation of our technology. Um, the product at the time being was uh, a charging pad for smartphones and it was sold with small adapters that you could plug and install uh, on your on your smartphone. And then we spent about one year and a half uh, industrializing those products and delivering it to the, the people who bought it on Kickstarter. And in 2018, we totally changed uh, our business model. Um, we decided to stop manufacturing and selling our own products. Uh, and we switched to a full 100% licensing business model because our goal at the time was to become a standard and to embed our technology in as many devices as possible. And the best way of doing it was to, to have a licensing business model. 
That's so interesting. And before we move into, because we definitely want to know more about your business model, um, I think it's very interesting what you said about um, how long it takes to prepare a crowdfunding campaign, because sometimes people don't realize that it takes so much previous work. So this is something very important for all the entrepreneurs out there to, to know, definitely. And, and also, like in terms of exploring the market, uh, did you have any competitors that you had to, you know, differentiate from, or uh, yeah, how yeah. how was the market research? So, uh, if you want to charge a device without a cable, without plugging plugging it in, you have two choices. Either you use inductive charging technologies, so you use electromagnetic field to charge devices or you use contact-based technology. So you, you create um, a metal-to-metal -metal contact between a, a charging pad and a device. And the issue with inductive approach is that um, induction have its own limits that are really inherent to the laws of physics. And you cannot change the laws of physics. So they will always have the, those limits. And the limits are that uh, it loses a lot of energy during the charging, at least 30%. So there is a real waste of, of energy. And then you need to place your device very precisely over a transmitting coil. So the, 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 the user interface is not so ergonomic. And the charging speed is quite low and the cost is quite expensive for the, the device manufacturers. So our main competitor is uh, inductive charging. Um, but inductive today is embedded only in uh, high-end high smartphones because it cannot target um, a lot of other kinds of, of markets. And so we decided to, to focus on all the markets that couldn't be reached by inductive charging technologies because it, has, it had been standardized uh, on smartphones, so it, it had quite um, a high inertia, I would say, on the smartphone market. And so we decided to focus on other use cases like uh, charging notebook laptops, uh, tablets, uh, gaming controllers, audio headsets, or all this kind of devices that you need to charge uh, daily. That's brilliant. I mean, I'm amazed that you started fresh from school building hardware, which is one of the most difficult thing to do. And then you refer to an education program that you followed um, after the, the engineering school. What I'm wondering is, where did you learn about uh, licensing, intellectual property rights, because it seems to be at the core of your current activity and business model. So can, can you tell us more about this, please? Yeah. So um, I didn't know much about IP as a student. Uh, I had never read a, a patent uh, in, in, in my engineering school, but we were very lucky at the very beginning of the company when we went uh, full-time to meet people from ENP, uh, which is uh, the, the French uh, IP agency, and they spent a lot of time uh, explaining us uh, what is IP, what is a patent, uh, how we should start building our IP. And then we were also lucky enough to have uh, very fast a first industrial partner with a very strong IP culture. Uh, so they also helped us thinking about how to to manage our IP and to, to build our first um, uh, IP assets. And um, this is why we, we started investing in IP uh, from day one. 
and since we, we kept a high investment levels. And after the years, so in 2018, um, when we uh, decided to, to pivot from, uh, I would say, mass market uh, product uh, industrialization and, and, and sales to licensing, uh, this is when we really decided to invest heavily in IP, develop not only one or two patents, but a, a patent portfolio extended in, in a, a lot of different uh, countries. And because it was the, the core value that we, we sold to our clients, so we, we had to really invest in it. And um, this is when we really realized that IP was an excellent tool for young, innovative companies, because of course, it's a protection tool, um, uh, both defensive and offensive. Um, but what what's interesting to, to realize is that it's also a very strong business tool. And I have two examples with Energy Square. The first one is that we were able to totally change our business model from B2C to licensing thanks to IP, because we already had patents and a lot of other IP assets. And when you negotiate a licensing agreement, um, you need to have strong IP tools behind you to, to sell something, uh, to sell know-how, uh, firmware IP, etc. And then it helped us in, in the negotiation of the licensing agreements to, to get more value, to increase the level of, uh, of uh, the royalties that we could get when we, we license our IP. So we really start seeing it as a, a business tool. And also we saw it as a, an analytic tool um, because when you start doing um, IP, uh, IP maps, uh, IP uh, patent mapping, and uh, a lot of research about uh, patents, uh, you can find ways to set your research, research and development in the right direction, invest in areas where your competitors are, are not investing and where you think there is a a high potential, uh, take the right strategic choices for, for your product and for your company, and to know also who, who on the market can be uh, interested or not in partnering with you, depending on the IP assets they already have and how they compare to your IP assets that, that you developed. Very well done. I'm really impressed because um, you started working with the, the engineering school, you got some help, although there was, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no tech transfer at that time. No. It was like collaboration. And then you reached out to the French intellectual property agency to get some help. Mm. And most of the startups and SMEs just don't dare doing it. So you started this step and then you learned directly from the experts. Um, okay. And from the licensing perspective, I understand that the first IP that your company has filed uh, might be a patent. Okay. Uh, did you choose to, to file a patent at the national level, at the French level, or directly at the European level? How actually you built your strategy? And then the following question will be about the licensing. How did you actually create this licensing strategy working with I suppose, non-European companies and still uh, kept the protection. Yeah. So the, the, 
Yeah, that's a, a very good question. Um, so at the beginning, we we all we only had one one patent in in France. Then we 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 filled the PCT process and we extended it in other countries, and we invested quite early in uh, uh, some trademarks as well. Obviously, uh, website uh, domain names, uh, and I would say it's when we decided to focus on licensing that we we started really um, focusing on other types of IP as well. So we organized our trade secrets, uh, we structured our know-how, our firmware, um, we 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 start building our own IP strategy to make sure. Everyone in the company was aware of the, the different IP tools that we had, uh, knew uh, what they could share or not under which agreements to our clients, and know the importance of IP uh, for the company uh, and the, the, the crucial role that it has. And then when we started negotiating our first licensing agreements, it was in 2019 with our first uh, clients, uh, we always we already had this IP well structured, and um, it it had a huge impact in the negotiation because if you come with only uh, one patent, um, you have way less bargaining power than if you come with a patent portfolio. Uh, a lot of PCT procedures or patents uh, that have been set. Uh, already abroad, uh, if you come with a firmware that is well protected, with know-how that is well protected, uh, with trademarks that uh, your partner or client can use, and it really helps us uh, increasing our, our bargaining power. And then the real challenge, I think, when we negotiating our licensing agreement was more around um, liability and, and, and guarantee clauses. So. What happens if our technology fails uh, in one product built by uh, our clients? Or what, what happens if there is a IP litigation uh, around uh, our technology? And this is what took us a lot of time to, to negotiate with our clients. As finding investment is usually a big concern for startups, I would like to know a little bit more about how did you finance your IP? Yeah, that's, that's um, one of the most difficult points for young companies, uh, especially startups, to to finance IP. And it's a kind of a vicious cycle because um, if you are a tech company uh, developing real uh, uh, technological innovation, most of investors um, in their investment decision will look at uh, your IP, how you structured it, if you have patents, um, if you, your employees uh, give what they develop to the company, etc. And uh, the thing is, patents are quite expensive to, uh, to finance, uh, especially when you start going in other countries. Uh, it can be uh, ten of, tens of uh, thousands of euros per, per patent. So it's a kind of vicious cycle because you need investment to, to finance your patents. And to get investments, you need... Uh, uh, you need uh, financing, so we 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 had the chance at the time to participate in a program of uh, uh, a company called France Brevet, uh, and the program was called Patent Factory. And what what they did is that um, they invested, they financed patent portfolios of young companies in which they believed, 
And then with this patent portfolio, uh, it, it raises the, the chances to get funding. And uh, once you get uh, uh, funding from uh, uh, investors, you would eventually uh, reimburse what, what they uh, invested in your patent portfolio and you will get the patent portfolio in, in your company. So this was a, a very interesting program. But I think what's also really important to understand for young companies is that most IP tools are not expensive at all. Uh, when you think about it, uh, NDA is a very powerful IP tool and it's totally free. Um, trademarks are not so expensive. Uh, Know-how is free also. It's just how you organize it. And another interesting thing is that patents have uh, a financing cycle, life cycle that is quite aligned with startup financing life cycles because most of the cost of patents come when uh, you want to fill it abroad. Like when you fill it in one single country, it's, it's, it's not so expensive, but the real cost come when you, you want to exp expand it in different countries. But you have a, the, what's called the, so the PCD, PCT uh, procedure that lets you one year and a half and uh, uh, more than if you, have, if you count the, the national procedures um, before the real cost comes. And in a startup life, one year and a half is uh, is really long, and um, it's um, it's a timing where you generally either uh, fail proving that your technology has a, a market fit, or uh, you you succeed in in proving your technology has uh, some potential, and you get some investors to finance these second steps, uh, so to to set uh, your patents uh, abroad. Overall. Um, and I know this is uh, a bit of a tricky question, but what factors would you say have been key to the success of Energy Square? Um, so investing in IP from the first day and also investing in different IP tools, uh, not only patents, uh, allowed us to be uh, quite flexible and to, to pivot from B2C to licensing. And it really uh, kind of saved our company because... I'm not sure if we would have succeeded um, in, in keeping a, a B2C uh, a model because it was um, uh, quite, um, uh, yeah, it was very expensive to finance at the time. And um, uh, I think it was a, a right decision and we made it thanks to IP investments. Uh, then we, we, we had the chance to meet quite early uh, our first clients and they already had identified uh, a need to which our technology answered, uh, such as Lenovo, for example, that we met in 2019. And they were looking for innovative solutions to charge their notebooks. Um, and we, 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 we presented them as the, the perfect solution that they, they were looking for uh, in, a, in a trade show. Uh, so we, we were lucky to meet them at the right moment. Uh, then I think we also managed to find the right investors uh, who understood our business, uh, who understood licensing, and who could bring real value uh, to the company. Um, investing a lot in research and development was also a key uh, uh, success uh, factor, success for the company. And the last one maybe was to uh, try to understand deeply the market trends, uh, a little bit thanks to IP uh, analytics tool as well, and to have solutions ready to be uh, to be sold 
when the market was was ready. So to try to think ahead of the market and ahead of uh, of competitors. I see. You know, um, I see a sort of pattern along the, the creation of your company and the success is each, each time you you have been at the right place at the right time, meeting with the right people. And that's, uh, I think that's quite amazing. But you know, you refer to the patent factory program that was offered by France Beauvais. And it makes me think that I'm not aware of such an initiative existing at the European Union level. And I'm wondering, do you think that that would really make a difference if it was offered to all the European startup? Um, how complicated that would be? Yeah, it's um, so for us, it totally um, changed uh, the, the, the life of our company because we had this uh, quite large patent portfolio financed uh, and it really helped us get funding afterwards. Uh, unfortunately, the, the patent fa factory program on the French level doesn't uh, exist anymore, but I know it helped a lot of, comp of companies at the time. And yeah, I think it would be relevant to have it on a, a European level uh, to identify um, the technologies that are really uh, strategic for, for Europe and to find some solutions to, to finance uh, their IP because on some topics, uh, we can be quite uh, late on uh, IP portfolios compared to US or Asian uh, uh, companies. So definitely we need to find some public or private tools to, to finance uh, IP of young companies very early. Yeah, I, I like this idea. And um, my next question is, what has been the biggest challenge or maybe the biggest challenges that you had to face since the founding of Energy Square? Um, so financing innovation is, is always uh, challenging, especially for uh, what we could call non-conventional uh, startups, uh, not doing uh, software as a service or um, uh, yeah, the kind of uh, startups that enter in, in, the, uh, in the strategy of uh, the uh, venture capitalist funds. But fortunately, um, I think that the funding ecosystem has evolved in Europe over the years. And now it's a, a more, um, there is a more mature financing market for deep tech companies and for companies developing hardware or stronger IP. So this is a, this is a good point. And then uh, negotiating licensing agreements as a, a young and small companies with uh, tech giants um, is uh, is very challenging. Uh, of course, they 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 have more bargaining power than you at the beginning, so you really need to find tools and methods uh, to increase your bargaining power. And uh, for example, it can be uh, through uh, protecting very strongly uh, your software or firmware. Um, and this is what what we did. We we have a lot of uh, encryption, so our clients. Um, uh, can only use our firmware and and run our technology into their products if we give <coughs> if we give them specific keys, <coughs> and um, and so this is also increasing our bargaining power. So you can find uh, some tools and methods not to uh, to to fight uh, uh, with um, no tools uh, against uh, tech giants. I would say. 
Um, we have talked a lot about all the things that uh, you have done well. <laughs> so my question, my next question for you is um, if looking back, is there anything that you would do differently now with the knowledge and, you know, that times gives you? Um, I think, yeah, we, we, what I would do differently is that uh, uh, I think we went quite late uh, in the, uh, to the exploring the US and Asian markets. And for our technology, we, we sell to device OEMs, to, so to device manufacturers that bring devices to, to the market. And most of our potential clients are uh, unfortunately not in Europe, but uh, mostly in US and uh, Asia. Uh, so if I had to do it again, I would focus from day one on, on those markets and spend more time exploring these markets uh, before the French market or, or, or European. I guess this is something that would happen to anyone, you know, to, to try to look around your house first and closer to you yeah. and, and perhaps not think so much about, you know, countries that are farther, farther away. Absolutely. Are you working on other projects, maybe personal projects or projects related to Energy Square that you may want to share with us? Uh, yes, so we, we have two uh, big projects uh, in the horizon with uh, Energy Square. Uh, the first one is to, um, to standardize contact-based charging technology, the kind of which we, we develop. And to do so, we need to find the, the, the right partners to build uh, a consortium. So we already built some kind of industry alliance with uh, a lot of uh, uh, tech companies. Uh, but I think in our technology field in, in charging, when you think about it, all the charging technologies today are standardized. You have a USB Type-C uh, for a lot of devices. You have the Qi charging standard for uh, inductive charging. And so the market needs to, 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 yeah, to get together um, to also standardize contact-based charging technologies. And we want to be... Uh, uh, one of the, the leaders of this standardization. And then the second point on which we are working quite heavily is to um, uh, develop uh, data transfer in our technology in parallel of charging. And the idea would be to, to do a little bit like USB over contact. And uh, one of the applications is um, wireless docking. So you, you place your laptop uh, over a charging mat and not only it will start charging, but it will also connect uh, the screen of your laptops to the monitors that you can have on your desk, uh, to the internet, etc. So to create a real data transfer interface into uh, our technology. That's the ecosystem being built around the Energy Square solution. I yeah. love it. Yeah, what you are saying sounds very futuristic. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it makes total sense. Um, okay, well, I, I'm afraid we have reached the end of our interview. Thank you so much, Timote, for your time. It has been such a pleasure to have this chat with you. And I think you have given great advice to other startups and 
um, entrepreneurs that might be in similar positions and perhaps they are not even considering licensing as a business model. So I think it's great that you have come here and talk us about your great success story. And yeah, have a great day and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me in that uh, podcast. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Timothy. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to IP Stories by 4IP Council. Visit our website on 4IPCouncil.eu to find out more and check out the links mentioned during this episode. If you liked it, remember to share and subscribe.